PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to this PTJ podcast. PTJ is the official publication of the American Physical Therapy Association. PTJ disseminates basic and applied science related to physical therapy, contributes evidence to guide clinical decision-making, and publishes scholarly perspectives from around the world. And now, your host, Donovan Stutel. Welcome to PTJ's Audio Abstracts for August 2008. This month's research reports focus on lip movement and facial movement disorders, tumor-related hemipelvectomy, walking distance and quality of life after gastric bypass, direct access to physical therapy in the Netherlands, and validity of the scale for controversive pushing. The International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health, or ICF, has been proposed as a possible framework for organizing physical therapist practice. This month's case report provides a practical example as applied to a patient after patellar dislocation. For clinical summaries of this issue, invited commentaries, and e-letters to the editor, visit www.ptjournal.org. First this month, Puckering and Blowing Facial Expressions in People with Facial Movement Disorders by Rachel Denlinger, Dr. Jesse Van Swearingen, Dr. Jeffrey Cohn, and Dr. Karen Schmidt. This abstract is presented by Dave Corvoisier. People with facial movement disorders are instructed to perform various facial movements as part of their physical therapy. A difference in the movement of the orbicularis oris muscle has been demonstrated among people without facial nerve impairments when they're instructed to, quote, pucker your lips and to, quote, blow as if blowing out a candle. The objective of this study was to determine whether this within-subject difference between the puckering and blowing actions also exists in people with facial movement disorders. 68 people with unilateral facial movement disorders were observed as they produced puckering and blowing movements. Automated facial image analysis of both puckering and blowing was used to determine the difference between facial actions for the following movement variables. Maximum speed, amplitude, duration, and corresponding asymmetry. The facial image analysis showed a difference between the amplitudes of movement for puckering and blowing. The blowing movement produced a larger amplitude of movement. The findings demonstrate that puckering and blowing movements in people with facial movement disorders differ in a manner that is consistent with differences found in people who are healthy. This information may be useful in the assessment of and intervention for facial movement disorders affecting the lower face. Lead author Rachel Denlinger is a research assistant in the Department of Psychology at the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Next, Functional Outcomes and Quality of Life After Tumor-Related Hemipelvectomy by Lisa Beck, Dr. Marlene Enertsen, Dr. Mark Weinmiller, Dr. Robert DePompolo, Dr. Curtis Hoppe, and Dr. Franklin Sim. Hemipelvectomy is a life-changing treatment for pelvic malignancies. This study compared functional outcomes and quality of life of patients following internal or external hemipelvectomies. 97 patients who underwent tumor-related internal or external hemipelvectomy surgery between January 1, 1988 and December 31, 2004 participated in the study. 
Using a descriptive, retrospective cohort study design, functional status was evaluated using the Barthel Index at three time points. Quality of life parameters were evaluated at follow-up using the Linear Analog Self-Assessment Tool. Data were collected on all 97 patients at rehabilitation consultation and hospital discharge. Follow-up data were obtained by a survey from 44% of the original group about six years after surgery. Median total Barthel index scores were similar between the internal and external hemipelvectomy groups at the initial physical medicine and rehabilitation assessment, at discharge, and at follow-up. Participants who received external hemipelvectomies were less independent in bladder function and had greater pain severity at follow-up compared with those who received internal hemipelvectomies. Overall, quality of life parameters were similar between the groups. Despite significant differences in surgical procedures, immediate and long-term functional outcomes and quality of life parameters were similar among participants with internal or external hemipelvectomies. Lead author Lisa Beck is Assistant Professor of Nursing in the College of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Changes in Functional Walking Distance and Health-Related Quality of Life After Gastric Bypass Surgery by Dr. James Tompkins, Dr. Pamela Bosch, Dr. Rochelle Chenoweth, Judy Teedy, and Dr. James Swain. Early physical functional changes after gastric bypass surgery are unclear, and the relationship between these changes and health-related quality of life has not been reported. This study measured distances from a six-minute walk test and scores on the 36-item short-form health survey, or SF36, before and after gastric bypass surgery. Twenty-five people undergoing gastric bypass surgery completed the SF36 and the six-minute walk test before surgery and at the three-month and six-month follow-up visits. Ratings of perceived exertion were measured during the six-minute walk tests. Presurgical walking distance was 55% of normative values. Distances increased significantly at both three months and at six months after surgery. Final ratings of perceived exertion decreased significantly. Health-related quality of life improved significantly. Both physical and mental health components of the SF36 improved significantly. Walking distance was inversely correlated with body mass throughout the study. Walking distance was positively correlated with the SF36 physical component summary change from 3 to 6 months. Improved functional capacity was associated with enhanced health-related quality of life. At 6 months, walking distances remained 75% of those for age-matched peers who had normal weight. Lead author Dr. James Tompkins is a physical therapist in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona. Next, direct access to physical therapy in the Netherlands, results from the first year in community-based physical therapy, by Dr. Chantel Lemrisse, Ilse Swinkels, and Dr. Cindy Veinhoff. In 2006, direct access to physical therapy was introduced in the Netherlands. Before this policy measure, evaluation and treatment by a physical therapist were possible only following referral by a physician, 
The objectives of this study were to investigate how many patients use direct access and to establish whether these patients have a different profile than referred patients. The study used electronic healthcare data from the National Information Service for Allied Healthcare, which is a nationally representative registration network of 93 Dutch physical therapists working in 43 private practices. In 2006, 28% of the patients seen by a physical therapist came via direct access. Patients who were more likely to refer themselves to a physical therapist were higher educated patients, patients with back problems that were not further specified, patients with nonspecific neck complaints, patients with health problems lasting less than one month, younger patients, patients with recurring complaints, and patients who had received earlier treatment by a physical therapist. Patients with direct access received fewer treatment sessions. Compared with 2005, there was no increase in the number of patients visiting a physical therapist. The study had two limitations. First, data came only from physical therapists working on general conditions in general practices. Second, severity of complaints is not reported. A large, specific group of patients utilized self-referral, but the total number of patients seen by a physical therapist remained the same. In the future, it will be important to evaluate the consequences of direct access, both on quality aspects and on cost-effectiveness. Lead author Dr. Chantel Lemrise is a researcher at the Netherlands Institute for Health Services Research, Allied Healthcare, in Utrecht, the Netherlands. Scale for Controversive Pushing, Cutoff Scores for Diagnosing Pusher Behavior and Construct Validity by Marco Baccini, Matteo Pacci, Dr. Luca Nanetti, Claudia Biricolti, and Lucio Rinaldi. Considerable disagreement exists among researchers with regard to the prevalence, pathophysiology, and treatment of pusher behavior, partly because of different testing procedures. This study was primarily aimed at establishing cutoff scores and construct validity for the Scale for Controversive Pushing, or SCP. The prevalence of pusher behavior in people with right brain and left brain lesions was also investigated. The study subjects were 105 consecutive patients with recent stroke. Two methods were used to diagnose pusher behavior. One, clinical examination. And two, the SCP score with three different cutoff points, an SCP total score of greater than zero, subscores in each section of the scale greater than zero, and subscores in each section of the scale greater than or equal to one. Clinical and SCP diagnoses were made independently by different examiners. The Cohen coefficient was used to determine the agreement between clinical and SCP diagnoses. The construct validity of the SCP was estimated by calculation of Spearman rank correlation coefficients for the SCP total score and the balance, mobility, and functional scores on other tests. The agreement between clinical and SCP diagnoses was low when the cutoff point was an SCP total score greater than zero. A cutoff point that used subscores greater than zero for each section of the SCP led to the highest agreement with the clinical diagnosis. 
The third cutoff point consisted of subscores greater than or equal to one for each section of the SCP. Although this cutoff point was less accurate globally, this was the only cutoff point that ensured no false positive results. The construct validity of the SCP was demonstrated by moderate to high correlations with mobility, functional, and balanced scores. The prevalence of pusher behavior was not influenced by the side of the lesion. A limitation of the study was that the reliability of the clinical examination method was not investigated. The results support the validity of the SCP and suggest the need to choose different SCP cutoff criteria, either subscores greater than zero for each section or subscores greater than or equal to one for each section, according to the aim of the evaluation. Lead author Marco Bacini is physical therapist in the Unit of Functional Reeducation at Azienda Sanitaria di Firenze and director of the Motion Analysis Laboratory at Piero Palaghi Hospital in Florence, Italy. And finally this month, a case report. Process for applying the International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health Model to a Patient with Patellar Dislocation by Dr. Kevin Helgeson and Dr. A. Russell Smith, Jr. The International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health, or ICF, has been proposed as a possible framework for organizing physical therapist practice. The purpose of this case report is to describe an evaluative and diagnostic process that is based on the ICF framework for a patient with patellar dislocation. The patient was a 23-year-old woman who sustained a right knee and patellofemoral joint injury, resulting in a sprain of the medial collateral ligament and a suspected sprain of the medial patellofemoral ligament. Evaluation at four weeks showed a primary impairment of patellar instability associated with the primary activity limitation of limited walking distances. A plan of care to address impairments, activity limitations, and participation restrictions was developed with modifications made on the basis of the patient's health condition and personal and environmental factors. The patient attained all of her goals for therapy and was able to return to her normal activities and recreational pursuits without a recurrence of patellar dislocation. Lower extremity function scale scores increased from 30 out of 80 to 76 out of 80 during the course of treatment. The ICF model has been proposed as a framework for developing diagnostic classifications for rehabilitation professionals. The ICF model also should be assessed with regard to whether it provides a useful process for clinical decision-making. The ICF model directs practitioners to address patients' problems at the level of the whole person, with modifications made on the basis of health conditions and personal and environmental factors. Lead author Dr. Kevin Helgeson is assistant professor in the Physical and Occupational Therapy Department at Idaho State University in Pocatello, Idaho. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825. Thanks for listening.